Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, and welcome to this next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the queen of SEO, Viola. Thank you so much for this lovely introduction, Mats. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm excited to talk to you today. And uh, we already talked a little bit about Basecamp and cool ways of living and business ownership in different ways and stuff. So I'm really, really excited for, for us to discuss more about that today. But uh, just before we start, as with most guests, a few individuals in this world have still not heard about you. So who are you? My name is Viola. I run a digital marketing agency called Flow SEO, where we specialize on search engine optimization for digital businesses, uh, e-commerce, software, e-learning. And basically, I travel the world and talk about SEO, how to rank on Google, how to write the right type of content, how to build links to it. And that's been my passion the last few years and navigating that community and getting to know people who do the same and digital entrepreneurship. Those are probably my greatest passions and hobbies, as well as my business right now. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I love, I love a bit of SEO once in a while myself. So it's always... Uh, so I have heard. So I've heard. <laughs> Rumor has it. No, that's good. That's good. Um, I think uh, let, let, let's jump straight into this topic. I mean, business ownership. So, so you have these two very traditional ways, as, as you've mentioned before the show, with the sort of Gary Vee 120 hours a day kind of work and you have the four-hour work week don't want to do a thing lie on a beach and i think we both agree on that none of them are very realistic for ambitious people because i think at least from my own point of view you know a life with no work would probably end up getting pretty boring and again a life with hundred some hours work, at least when you're not in, in quarantine. Um, life with hundred hours work a, a week is probably not too super exciting for people either. So right. the middle way is, is great, but what, what does that look like? So don't get me wrong. So for example, the last couple of days, I easily did like, you know, 10, 12 hours just because I was in the zone and I was feeling very inspired. And I do think every now and then, you know, that's what it takes or every now and then you feel the spark or the passion really hits you and that's what you want to be doing. And I think that is totally fine. But I'm not sure that just putting in long hours is the right way to think about business. And this is, yeah, now I think more and more people are waking up to it. And, and when five years ago, you know, the hustle grind away was still like the cool thing to do. Now more people are starting to call it, you know, the hustle porn and starting to speak up to it because working long hours alone and being busy alone is not what it takes, right? It tells you nothing about your effectiveness. It tells you nothing about your impact. It tells you nothing about whether or not you're doing the right thing and whether you're smart about what you're doing. It also doesn't tell you anything about the joy or creativity that you can have in your work. So I think that's one end of the spectrum is it's just like working super hard and working long hours. And then the other end of the spectrum, as you said, the lying on the beach and then sometimes I always cringe if people, you know, they are like, ah, um, I want to work on my business for four hours a week. And, and I'm like, I'm not really sure if that's how it works also. And I'm not really sure if I want to. I think pulling yourself out of the day to day, I think that's fine. That's probably also the job of an entrepreneur. But whether sitting on the beach is ultimately what we want. For me personally, not. I think I'm like you. 
that's why I accidentally called SEO my hobby in the introduction is because I like doing it and I like talking about marketing and I like talking about entrepreneurship and it's not my goal to cut this stuff out of my life because it's something that drives and inspires me. So I was, I, I've, I've been feeling this, that there must be a different way, that there must be a different way to also run agencies, which are normally very much driven by like urgency and notifications and things are getting slown, uh, thrown around and things happening last minute. And I've been thinking about this a while. And then I came across of some of the work of the founders of Basecamp. So Basecamp is a software tool, basically like Trello or Asana, a project management tool. I'm actually not even using it. So it's not necessarily a recommendation for their tool, but I started reading their books and their podcasts and publications, and they talk a lot about the concept of a calm company. So yeah. w what does it mean if a company actually allows you to find deep work and find joy and, you know, get th things done in a productive manner by doing less? And I think also because I called my company Flow, so that's also something that I really care about, this mindset of Flow is... Having a calm company and being allowed to do deep work is also a prerequisite for flow. So that's where these things kind of all of a sudden start coming together and start making sense for me and where this middle ground starts to become interesting. Yeah. No, it sounds, uh, I mean, I, I think we look at it very much the same way. So the, the way I tend to look at it is that, and, and this is what I coach with my, lot of my clients to that situation, but Again, fundamentally, if you go to hospital for two weeks and can do nothing, will your business crash and burn? Right. And the, the problem is it's, it's not even just the hours you put in, but it's that, it's that dependency that I think is so hard on people because, you know, sometimes, I don't know if, if it's a partner's birthday or some special occasion and, you know, they're, they're in a position where they're forced to work because there's certain deadlines or certain things happening that they have to be part of, right? And I, I think that kind of dependency is what's actually the most, let's call it dangerous for business owners, right? And, and exactly what I do with my coaching is helping people to get out of that stuff because in the end of the day, like I, I, that's a test for me is always, if you can go away for a month and you know, your business keeps running, I mean, there might be a couple of questions when you come back, but nothing of crash and burn and uh, frequently uh, your business actually grows. Right. And right. Uh, that's, that's really the ideal for me and, and getting clients to that stage is usually what makes me really happy, right? Because again, they can take the time they have and they can put as much into the business they want from a higher level perspective. And that can help it grow and it can help do amazing things. But, but that makes it a choice rather than right. a necessity, right? right? Yeah, I think one of the biggest kind of like accomplishments of the last few months is that um, I don't have Slack or email on my phone, which means if I want to do work stuff, I need to be on my laptop. And then I try not to be on my laptop, like in the evening or on the weekend. And then, you know, being able to go away for maybe like 10 weeks, twice, uh, 10 weeks, that would be lovely, 10 days, um, twice a year and be completely unplugged. And then still things keep on happening. But I mean, I think it's also a question of mental and, you know, like headspace, because I can tell you like the few things that cause me also the most anxiety, whether or not someone messaged me or not, is also like, you know, if you're having uncertainty or if you're having cash flow issues or if you're worried about losing clients or if you're worried about the quality of your work, et cetera. And then it keeps kind of like feeding, you know, on me, even whether I, I might be messaging or not. And I think 
A, we need to get under control our notifications and our messaging and how much we need it and how much these, you know, like messages keeps popping up and stressing us out on, you know, your partner's birthday or whatever. And then also for me, it's like Calm Company is also about, you know, having a bit of the peace of mind, like, you know, this cart house is not going to fall apart, you know, tomorrow, but certain primal survival mechanisms of the business are sorted so, so that we can all relax a little bit and we don't have to worry we're losing our job tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I've, I've found most of that, for me at least, have come back to actually delegating that responsibility to other people, right? Like, again, like the outsourcing business I run, I spend probably two hours a week or so on it, right? Like, I don't spend right. much time. But, but for me, the, the essence was having a couple of people who have the ownership to do things so that, again, that, you know, I can go in and do things if I want to. But, right. but there's absolutely no requirement for me to do it. And really that freedom and that flexibility uh, is great because, you know, sometimes you, I mean, sometimes I read a book and I get a bunch of good ideas and I spend three days working on some new concept or some new ideas and, and that's great. But it's, at, at least for me, that's, that freedom of mind is the fact that, you know, if things are burning, it's not necessarily just me thinking about it. I know right. that if there's a problem, someone else is trying to deal with it, right? And I think that's, at least for me, and again, we're all different, right? But at least for me, that's that's where that calmness and so on really. I suppose for me personally, this comes a lot about letting go of the need to control and letting go of the need to have it my way. And I think I actually might've learned this from you or someone taught me that you said this is, or or the way I try to live now is like often with things that I'm, like delegating etc there's obviously like certain things that are certain ways like there's certain limitations to i want to have things done but usually i try to be very open-minded about the output and and what i've learned is like if the output is like 80 percent of what i expected it to be then you know that's fine that's within that's that's within the goals or within the parameters of goals that i'm trying to achieve so i think for me personally the biggest thing with all of this and you know getting more of peace of mind and not feeling so in charge myself and and you know, not you know struggling so much um has been that like realizing okay if if, if someone you know takes this over and it's like 80 percent of, of what i probably would have envisioned but then they add their twist and their flavor to it this is really all you can ask for and then on the other hand, the main thing that I try to encourage with my team is like being proactive. So even if things go wrong or they don't go my way or we're doing something different is the main quality that I want and that I support and encourage is, is people being proactive. And I, I compliment and feedback that more than I feedback any mistakes that would have appeared in the process. And yeah. One of the things, for example, like the SEO social media is completely run uh, by Angela from my team. And I would have never probably, I probably would have never set up a Facebook profile for a company, a LinkedIn profile. But she came to me and she's like, this is not right. You know, we're a digital marketing agency. We don't have any social media channels. I want to run this. And, and I love that she's, she's doing our digital PR and she's doing the backlinking for our own agency, which probably I wouldn't have never done myself either. So I'm like, okay, let's run with it. And then sometimes, you know, there, there's been quotes uh, published. I'm like, I didn't even know I said that. But firstly, she's so on point with the stuff um, she said that I said. And then secondly, I log, love that she just took over our entire digital presence. So shout out to you, Angela, for running the show. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's and that's exceptional, right? And that's that's what you look for in people. And and I think I, I mean the one thing that really hurts me the most when it comes to people management in that aspect is uh, is, is this old and, and probably come from the four hour work week to be honest. But it's this thing with oh yeah, you know, you do this process, you give it to people, and you just tell them to do it. And it's so many people in the internet world of business have just taken it to heart, and they literally. Like they don't delegate responsibility, they just keep giving tasks, and it it's so demotivating for for staff members. And right. I'm I'm pr- pretty sure the, the the way you have gotten to where you are with with Angela, for example, is the fact that you have actually given her responsibility, right? Um, I, yeah, I I don't I don't know how she does it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I I just know that we're publishing a few times a week. I'm actually not sure about the process. So the interesting thing I tell you this is like it's my team asking me for SOPs right now, uh, which is a surprise also for me. Yes, but um, we wrote a new team member onboarding guide. Um, but that was an idea from Boban for my team. He's like, you know, I, you know, I want to work with the new people coming on board and should we not have a guide, et cetera. So he wrote the guide. And then it's also been Angela and the content writers who wrote the content guidelines um, for each other um, and for some of our clients. So, so yeah, it's, it's been, yeah, I think letting go of the ego and letting go of the need to do it my way ultimately has been, uh, the best process or the b- best personal limitation for me to work on, I think. And we yeah. talked about this before, I think, um, when when we talked about your DISC personality model and where I fit into this, et cetera, is, you know, take, taking step and giving other people kind of the opportunity to take up space and take up tasks. And then, yeah, always forcing myself to recognize this. Ultimately, I want people to be proactive and I want people to do stuff. That's the personal practice or that's the personal growth that I hope I'm on, or I hope that's the journey that I'm trying to, to move forward on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's excellent, excellent. I mean, again, it's, it's always a tough one, right? Because people are always like, oh, so limited. I've actually just recorded a brand new uh, uh, session to my, my management training or around delegation where we've extended it to, I think it's about an hour now. But it's a lot about exactly that stuff, right? It's exactly this thing that the problem is not that it have to be your way. The problem is, for example, if you sit down and do the new starter manual, the problem is then there's so much other stuff that you're not doing, right? Right. And it's yeah. really that stuff with understanding what do you need to own, even as a business leader in a relatively small and new business, right? What do you really need to own? And what is it okay other people do, Right. Well, here I, I tell you something that I, that I, that I thought about last week, which comes exactly to your point. And I thought, like, maybe I'm better at certain tasks. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe let's let's say better. Let's say maybe have more experience or have done it more often. But everyone is one hundred percent one hundred percent better than me when I don't do the task because I don't have time, right? So. So maybe, yeah, in theory, if I would have the time to do something, it could be well, but I almost never have the time to do it. And then if it doesn't happen, that's obviously the worst output. And then if someone else makes it happen and pushes it forward, and then maybe we can feedback it and work in it, you know, that's it. Um, yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's exactly the right mindset, right? Because you, you want to be in a situation where 
you know, you're getting other people to push things forward. Because the thing is, when you get people to do that, that's how they grow. And that means the next time you have something, they can push even more forward and they can do it even better, right? Right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I love that aspect. And it's, it's always a great realization, right? But actually, my favorite is delegating things that I don't know how to do or right. things that I suck at. So for example, right. uh, let's say we, we started doing email marketing a while ago. Uh, we probably still should at it, but at least I delegated it to someone that was not me <laughs> because I knew up front that it's definitely not something I'm good at in any way, shape or form. And instead of doing the typical entrepreneurial thing with sitting down, figuring it out and, and you know, I, I, I delegated it to someone straight away and said, you know, we need to do email marketing. You go ahead and do that. I, I did that with this specific podcast as well, right? Like I had a fairly good idea of how to start a podcast because I've read a bunch about it. But instead of trying to sit and figure out all the, the ins and out, like, I was like, I'm going to record this thing on Zoom. I'm going to put a, send a Zoom link to your email. And then you make sure a lot of stuff happens, right? right. And yeah. Um, again, like that process is so great because when I was looking at podcasting, for example, I'm looking at it from a priority standpoint. I'm saying there's two valuable things, two very valuable things about podcasting. One is building relationships with the people you actually interview. Right. And the other thing is building an audience that actually gets some great sustainable content. Right. right. And there are two values. Now, if there's a little um or if there's a little two second break that isn't cut out and so on, yes, I could definitely, I'm sure, do it exactly the way I wanted. But what is the lack of value? What is the loss of value if that would happen, right? Uh, and compare to whatever else I could do in a business, right? Now, if I was to sit down and edit every episode of my podcast, that would cost me at least an hour a week. Now, I can do a lot better things with an hour. I suppose, so here's another contradiction in the space of entrepreneurship is a lot of people always talk about the MVP and they talk about shipping fast, which I'm a huge fan because I don't have an eye or the patience for detail. I'm way too, you know, like fidgety and I want to do the next thing. So I always ship something, you know, shortly before perfection because I, I can't force myself to spend, you know, the last few hours to make it perfect. But that's not to say like when people talk about MVP, people always talk about ship it as early as possible. And if you're not embarrassed about the first draft, you know, you're not shipping early enough. And I don't believe that. I think I, I, I think that MVP or anything you do, it, it, it should be like good enough. I'm not a big fan of this people who push too much for doing something crappy. Oh, just take the iPhone and, you know, record a video. I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, spend some time to learn the 80-20 of making good video and then ship it. I think that would be my philosophy. But what you're talking about, which brings back to my previous point, is this between efficiency and um, effectiveness, right? So, yeah, maybe you can tweak the podcast and really make it 100%. But if in the same time you could be recording a second episode or a third episode or, you know, be promoting the podcast, that's probably time better spent. So I think navigating that balance between shipping something quickly, but not too crappy, and then also not getting stuck by trying to make it perfect 
I think that's a personal challenge for everyone and you have to see where you sit. And if you had the tendency to ship too early, you maybe need someone to refine your work and polish it. I always need an editor for my writing, for example, is because I'm just, I'm not going to find typos. I'm, I'm blind to them. But then again, you know, I'm getting it edited like for like basic, like structural and grammar mistakes, or I'm not getting it edited you know, to be like a piece of literature that, you know, it's going to survive through time and space. Um, and I think everyone has to find their personal sweet spot between shipping and quality. Yeah, I, I have actually my writing process is ideal. Um, basically, my process is I don't write anything. Um, <laughs> I've, 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 I think I've heard you say that before. <laughs> and, and like the, the thing is, like, I love the concept of blogs. I love reading great blogs and I'm such a bad writer that it takes me like a hundred years to write a hundred words and right. it makes no sense for me. I'm actually a half decent editor. Like we, right. when, when we have people writing content, I can sit down and critique it, but, but that creativity that it takes to actually write content, it just doesn't exist in me. I, I can do it if I just sit and talk to people. Like I, I'm, I'm great at that, but, but if I have to put it down on paper, I'm always, I'm super perfectionist. So I'm always like, before I start thinking out the idea and writing it out, it's just, it, it basically just becomes, yeah, so many words. Like I, I once spent about three months when I had an idea, I wanted to write a book and I write about probably four pages over three months, right? And that was kind of like the end of my writing. <laughs> Well, so I tell you, this is like somewhat unrelated, but what I always tell people when they're starting out with content creation is like, man, pick a channel that you like, you know, if, if you really ha hate blogging and then you start a blog and you want to SEO it, that's a tough one. And I think for you doing the podcast or maybe even a YouTube channel, you know, anything, because you're good with doing presentations and talking with people, it's just a lot more natural. And it's also more realistic that you will pursue it and actually stay with it and, and work on it consistently. Because again, like, yeah, sure, in theory, maybe you should have a blog for all the reasons that it's good to have a blog. But if you have to force yourself so much to do it, it's, it's never going to happen. And I think that's also part of this idea of how do we create a company that's, that, that's beautiful and that suits us and that brings us joy and pleasure is also like choose your battles wisely. And then yep. maybe, maybe blogging is not for you, which it's not to say that maybe at some point you have someone on your team that either blogs your ideas or they blog their own content on your website, but it's probably not wise to force yourself that you are the one who does it. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's what I always do in business, right? So I, I always, always look at my own strengths and weaknesses. I, I don't want to do things that is not a strength of mine, right? I just don't want to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we actually have, so we've had um, a guy actually listening to a lot of my videos and my courses and things like that and writing blog posts off from information from those. So there is actually content on my blog, but I have never written a word of it. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's still my ideas. It's still my stuff coming out, right? But, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, I was never really into video. Um, as you know, I've grown into public speaking. When I first gave my first presentation, um, 2016, my voice didn't stop shaking for an hour. So you can't say that I was like naturally drawn to, to public speaking. And it's just something that I kept doing more and more because we were promoting the conference at the time. And it's just something that I kind of fell into. I had to do it in the beginning. And then it grew into something that I, you know, chose to pursue and something that I came to love. 
And so I felt pretty much the same with video is for some reason, giving a presentation to an audience and then it's not recorded, you give it and then it's over and then it's gone. You know, that after a while felt naturally and felt good to me. And then when the first time I had to record a video and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to stay on the internet forever. You know, if I say something weird, it's going to stay on the internet forever. And it just made me feel very insecure again and um, very many issues. But then through the process of recording my online course, I actually started to like it. And then a couple of weeks ago, I recorded a test video to figure something out. And it was really fun. And I found myself spending three, four hours on it, like setting it up, recording it, doing very basic editing, just to kind of get a feel for how the process looks like. And I find myself enjoying it a lot. So, so this is also part of the reason I'm like, oh, maybe I should do more podcasts and video now because that's been something like very pleasurable. I didn't have this like energy drain that I have after writing. And then also, um, I'm a huge fan of the guys, um, Stephen Kotler and um, Jamie Wheel, who wrote a book on flow called Stealing Fire. And they basically, they always have this like Instagram meme where they say, um, learning is accelerated 470% in flow. So flow, so this state of, you know, being in the zone of, you know, your intuition and a challenge aligning and everything just moving through you. And it's almost transcendental in the sense that you're getting something done and you're not even quite sure what happens and time passes by really quickly. And apparently that's such a productive state that actually you learn 470% quicker and you're obviously more productive, et cetera. Um, So that I'm, I'm, following now more my body and mind about okay what kind of activities put me into the states and then probably i should be doing a little bit more of this which in a weird way leads leads back to the very beginning of our conversation with the notifications and this is why so for example with my team it's like we never have instant like live communication like i check my slack I mean, I'm probably on it more than I should be, but I'm basically replying to it usually in the morning and then in the afternoon, and then I sign off in between, just that I even have the opportunity to have a window of getting into flow that's not interrupted every 10 minutes by someone messaging me. And, and likewise for the team. So it's not just for my benefit, it's for their benefit also. It's like who, who wants, you know, the boss to, you know, ping them all the time when they're doing something. I think that's not very fun either. No, I, I totally agree. And uh, actually, so I, I also have an amazing course uh, on productivity specifically that I did with a friend of mine, Chris Reynolds. And that oh, is yeah, that goes through a lot of that flow state. And, you know, it really goes deep, deep, deep on productivity. Um, yeah. So again, for people into that sort of thing, that's definitely a, a cool course as well. But I, I, I think fundamentally what you're saying, I, I totally agree with it, right? And I think... Um, high level it's how i like to think right like because you can definitely learn stuff and i mean i've had i have i have even today the same experience it took me about five years to record my first management course Mm -hmm. and i knew for five years i wanted to do it but sitting staring into a screen i i can walk on stage and i can speak to five thousand people not a problem but me sitting staring into a camera I mean, I tried so many things. Uh, I've had my wife sitting behind the camera and yeah, pretending to good. talk to her. I have uh, one of my friends drew up a doll or something and put behind the camera. Tried so many things. I hate it. I still hate it to this day. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
talking to an audience the same. I mean, I love doing podcasts. I love doing webinars. When I'm talking to people, when I, when I feel interaction, it's amazing. But when I sit talking to myself, first of all, I, I end up retaking all the time because when I'm sitting on a podcast talking, I, I never, I always just say the right thing. <laughs> I don't know how it works, right. but, but you know, when I'm sitting recording a video, somehow just, I end up having to retake everything like 27 times because I don't say it right or whatever. And it's so weird. I didn't know, where, where do you sit in the disc model? So you, you seem to have a level of perfection in you. I, I am a 99% uh, high C with a tiny, tiny bit of S in me. Um, right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have, so this is news to me. Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the, the thing is, it's, it's not very obvious to people because I've learned this very well and because I, I've learned to really master my strength, but I'm also very focused on really knowing my weaknesses right and i think i mean one of the things that i've spent the most energy in my life learning is this thing called human beings like most people that meet me now think i'm like extrovert or you know kind of very social and stuff like that and you know when i was 18 years old i wouldn't look at another human being like right i, I literally forced myself to this uh scenario like i'll, I'll take the bus to work every day and I literally set myself a goal. Every day I had to sit down next to a stranger and just say hi. Yeah. yeah. And I literally, for a month, I did that. Just say hi. Yeah. And then after the first month, I would then say, hi, how are you? And in, in the English language, you don't really have to respond. So right. I, I kind of, but, but that was literally how I learned this thing called human beings. Um, because I'm, I'm definitely not native. Uh, not native, that's the wrong word. Naturally, a, a great communicator uh, in that way. But going through business, understanding the value of networking, I knew it was something I had to learn. And I mean, even to this day, when I'm going to a conference and stuff, I love being surrounded by people, but it's difficult. Like every time I walk up to a stranger and start talking to them, it's difficult. Oh, I'm so scared. I, I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the thing. When most people see me, that's not how they look at me. Because they, yeah. don't, they don't see the internal battle I go through every time when I'm walking yeah. around talking with people. But I do it because I know for business, from a management standpoint, it works. Uh, so. 100%. Um, well, look, this is also one of the things where I had to overcome the initial obstacle in order to learn to love it. And still, I, I mean, I go to a lot of conferences, but when I walk into a room and I look around and I know no one, that makes me very uncomfortable. Like, I'm very scared. I feel insecure. I don't know how to approach people. I don't know how to small talk people. I learned small talking a little bit. I Like, I realized... Most people are happy if you just keep asking them questions because then you know, people like to talk about themselves. So that's kind of my hack now. It's just like not even thinking that I have anything interesting to say in small talk. Just keep asking questions and then seeing what unfolds. But inherently, I feel very uncomfortable in a, in a room full of people that I don't know. And there's two, two things that I learned about this. A is I learned to, to be okay with being the awkward person who stands alone. Well, because sometimes that's also that then when the insecurity and the fear hits you even more and I, 
I learned that actually from one of my old roommates who could just completely zone out on a conversation and then just be fine with it. And so I, I learned to be okay with standing alone. So I think that's one of it. And then actually the other introvert networking hack, weirdly, I think is, is public speaking. Because the fact that you're the speaker, and especially if, which is always good to be on the first day or early in the morning for that specific reason is because afterwards people know you, they know what you stand for, and then they approach you with a topic that you enjoy. So in your case, they're going to start talking to you about management, which is something that you like and that you're good at, et cetera. So you basically, you skip a lot of the foreplay and awkwardness of small talk that you otherwise have. Um, so, so, so those are my two tricks is like, being okay standing alone and then using public speaking as a way to overcome your fear of big crowds. Yeah, I, I'd say definitely the, the small talk. I mean, I'm always the one that asks the weird questions. I'm like, typical first question I would ask people is, so what, what do you want in life? Or like, mm-hmm. I always like I, all these, like, what's the weather like and stuff? Yeah, I can ask them and I do sometimes, but you know, I, I like getting to know people differently. Like I, I always ask these weird, deep questions and people are like, that's a weird first question to ask someone. And I'm like, okay, well, that works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, public speaking. I mean, I, I, I joined probably nearly 15 years ago. I, I can't even remember. I'm pro- 12, 13 years ago now. I, I joined a, a Toastmaster club for the first time. Mm. And again, it was actually, the purpose was not actually around public speaking, but for me, it was still this networking thing. I mean, to all my clients, to in a lot of my training, I mentioned Toastmasters a lot, not just for the public speaking, but you actually learn some extremely valuable skills with public speaking. So one of them is body language. And if you're mm. extremely introverted as I am by nature, you won't know how to use your arms and your body when you communicate and public speaking forces you to do that. Right. right. And it teaches you like particularly Toastmasters really teach you how to use your body language. And that translates like even when I talk today, I've, I've learned to use my body. I've learned to talk with my whole body, not just my lips moving. And right. that makes me such a be- much better communicator. Right. Right. And at the same time, one of the things that I can struggle with is being short and concise. And again, when you're standing on a stage, have a limited amount of time and you need to communicate an idea, you need to communicate something, it forces you to learn to be much more concise. And particularly as a high C, very detail-oriented person, Mm. um, really learning to boil things down and only share the most important is I mean, it makes a huge freaking difference, right? I remember when I used to work corporately, like, you know, I would try and convince my boss to something. And the way I would do that was walk into a, his office and sit and talk for two hours and detail, detail, details about why this was a great idea and so on. And, and you know, I, I, did, I never realized that after 20 minutes, he was kind of sleeping and he wasn't actually listening anymore. <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, I, th- I thought I was like, being my personality type, I thought that was the right way to do it, right? But I've really learned that learning to be concise, learning to put things across in a way that, yeah, that just makes it much more powerful when people actually get it in a short period of time. And, and that, that's been the best learnings for me uh, from, from public speaking. And then all the networking you do, like, because just like right. you say, when, when you're on stage, like, like, I, I don't mind when, when people come up and talk to me at a conference, I have no problem. Right. If I have to walk up to them and start talking, that's difficult. 
right? Yep. So as yep. long as yep. people, I don't actually care what people come and talk to me about, but as long as they right. walk up to me and start talking, I, 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 I'm okay, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Um, so yeah, mm. but uh, so lots so of this great is, hacks. This is interesting with your boss in the presentation. Because now I spent this entire podcast saying, like, you know, you got to have impact. You got to be effective. Um, so you would think that I would write short emails or send short presentations. But actually, the hardest thing for me, and, and this is probably where my, my C, my detail-oriented person comes, comes to play, is distilling down the information that I have into something digestible. Which, by the way, in SEO, is I think this is the main thing that where you can set yourself apart because SEO tools are so, so phenomenally good now and you can get all the details, everything, but there's a huge difference between data and insight and you need to turn data into insight in order to be able to sell someone on it. So your boss doesn't want to have all the details. My clients don't want to have a 2,500 word keyword research where it says 400 out of these are great opportunities. What they want, they want me to distill it into, we should be writing these five articles. And then send an email that says, like, we're writing five articles and they don't need to have my entire thought process of we had 2,500 uh, keywords and then 400 are great because they're low difficulty and great uh, click through rate and uh, no ads, et cetera. Like, they don't want to know this. They just want to know we're writing five blog posts. Um, you know, these are middle and, you know, top of the funnel keywords and we're going to get more awareness people. So we have to figure out, you know, a good lead magnet. And so that's what they want to know. But for some reason, so that's still one of the hardest thing for me also. It's like distilling these huge spreadsheets and details that I have into something that is fun for people who don't like spreadsheets and something that they can be sold into. Um, so and, and, and you just explained the problem that 99% of all SEO agencies have. I the know. problem with it, 99% of SEO agencies, every sales call I've ever heard so many, it's always the same. Yeah, we're really good at SEO. We look at the keywords and we're good at ranking and, you know, we use all these philosophies and all this yada yada detail that the person they're talking to understand absolutely nothing of, right? Yeah. And the, the problem with SEOs is they sell SEO. If you yep. want to be successful selling SEO, stop selling SEO and start selling yep. the results. Well, so, but the, the, so the thing that SEOs get away with, which is selling on keywords and rankings, no other discipline in digital marketing gets away with this. Think about a Google ads agency, a Facebook ads agency that would sell on impressions and clicks. Like they're being held so accountable to conversion and leads but somehow because SEO, you know, takes six months, nine months because of whatever reason, historically, SEOs don't want to commit to conversion. They don't want to commit to revenue. And I mean, I get that. I also don't like if someone has, I don't know, a B2B software where obviously after a first sign up or a first freemium sign up, et cetera, there's so many steps of the sales process. I obviously don't want to be, you know, being held accountable whether their sales team is good or their email marketing is good. But I do think, you know, you, you need to report on organic traffic and you need to report on organic conversion if you want to be taken somewhat serious. So I forced myself to make that page one of my monthly report is organic traffic and organic conversion. And, and then I only about keywords and, and then basically have like overall traffic development and then like backlinks builds etc and this stuff and then only later 
I get to a link to a spreadsheet where it shows like keywords and rankings, but it's a personality type. Some people really love keywords and rankings. And I think it's also something that intuitively we kind of understand. And there's a beauty in being held accountable for that, especially if you have a site, you know, that has a lot of content and then you build links to it and then keywords are going to go up. So that's good, but that doesn't necessarily again, tell us something about the impact it has on their business. A lot of agencies that I work with, I, generally can try and convince to send a one page report with two numbers on it. And it's a very, very simple one page report that have a number saying you paid us this much right. and made. we made you this right. much. And well, my report has a lot of graphics. That's why it's so long. Forgive me. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is, like, and, and it, you will have clients that knows a little bit about SEO and, and is interested. But the, the problem for most SEO companies is they lose clients. And the reason is they lose clients because they, start, they stop valuing what they're getting. Now, if you send, I mean, if you send me a, a slide every, once a month, one slide with two numbers on it and said, hey, Matt, you know, you paid me five grand last month and I made you 25. And I'm like, that would make me in a very good mood. And I don't I actually mean, need to know anymore. This is why e-commerce SEO is kind of fun though. Because th there it's a lot, th there it's kind of like obvious um, or more obvious than maybe in w when you do more lead gen type scenario. Um, yeah, I agree with this. Again, I think, you know, what it comes down to is also it's a lot of this like scorecard traction. It's like, what kind of metrics are you looking at? Because you're logging into your Google Analytics and there's just so much noise and so many details. And, you know, someone has to look at the details to understand the bigger picture. But as a client who works with me or as a marketing manager or a business owner, sometimes I just want to know the one or two numbers. And again, this is to create my peace of mind and make sure that I'm focused. It's like I need to make sure I know someone is looking at the details and I trust them. And then I need to make sure that I feel they're returning the one or two or three numbers that matter most um, to me. Yeah, I, I think the problem, and, and, and this is exactly when you go back to the PPC example, the, the problem is in many niches, you can send the client a lot more traffic without getting them any clients or leads or whatever, right? right. Uh, and, and the problem with, with both traffic and keywords is they don't mean anything. I mean, it's, it, it's just like impressions and so on. It's a vanity metric, right? Uh, I think like even for lead gen, we, I would always recommend people always go down the route. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but work with the client and figure out, you know, every time we get your lead, what percentage of people who even sign up for a freemium, like how many, what percentage of people who sign up for a freemium eventually converts into a customer? Yeah. Right? Because that will give you your numbers and that will give a value. It'll be a, give a lead value for everyone that signs up. The same when you, when you have people like a lot of people do SEO with local businesses. And right. when you do that, again, you have two numbers. It's like if people call you up, how many percent do you generally close? And right. two, what's the average value of someone you close? And then you right. just use those numbers to, to make up and value. But, and the whole thing is, right? Like, if you're like, oh, you paid me 5,000 and I made you 5,100, it's not great anyway. But if, if someone pay you five grand and you make them 25 grand, like, yeah, it could be that was 23 or it could be it was 27. It doesn't matter. The whole point right. is you make it them a lot, lot more money. Yeah. Right. So that that's generally how I always try and work with people on it because 
Yeah. It well, tends to work well. And, and you know what? It also means if those are the only two numbers that you're holding yourself accountable to, it again, it deletes a lot of the tasks that you could be doing, you know, because it's so clear, like what is success? Um, you know, when you're wondering, you know, should I be doing this infographic or, you know, update this meta description or should we be doing this? Or should I be writing a new piece of content and build five links to it? Now, all of a sudden it becomes really clear what are the things that you should be focusing on and what are the things that you should not be focusing on? What are the things that are moving the needle and making an impact? Um, and, and hopefully, and again, I think doing less, being more streamlined, at least for me, creates a peace of mind. And I know that's also kind of like, again, probably my OCD mind speaking that if the level of complexity gets too high and if there are too many things happening at the same time, and if, if I feel like, you know, I don't understand what's going on anymore, there's just, after a certain point, like I just get really, really anxious. So that's when I need to bring it down. I'm like, okay, what are the two or three things that we should be doing that are most important and where are we at with them that then again brings me a peace of mind again which hopefully makes me a better business owner or makes the business run smoother um yeah actually i'm working so maybe you can give me some feedback on this like we're working with the attraction scorecard right now yep. and kind of like the most obvious ones for clients is obviously that is what they're already report is their increase in organic traffic and increase in organic conversion and then for the team i i the most easy um, number that I found is like backlinks built, you know, you know that's, that's measurable. <laughs> yeah. um, but but what, what are some other kind of like scorecard KPIs that you would recommend for SEO teams? Right. So uh, I'll go a step back and, and I'll always, because this is where a lot of people go wrong is that they don't give the end end goal. Right. So for example, if, if you have a team building backlinks, a lot of people would sit down and say, okay, your goal is to send out 100 outreach emails every day. The problem is 100 outreach emails, it's just like traffic. It guarantees nothing. Like if I open the phone book and send it to the first 100 people, it guarantees uh, nothing. Uh, so this is an interesting one. Like I don't even know that. I have to ask my team, yeah. Because I, yeah, I, I, so for me, the KPI has always been like backlinks build and then, and, and. Yeah, then they tell me how many emails they send. But yeah, you're right. Like many people track that also. Many, many, people, many people don't take the end goal. And I, it, the question right. you just asked me, I would look at the same thing. So I'd say right. the first end goal is how much money is the customer making from what you're doing? Yeah. Now that then boils down to, that then comes from the number of leads, which right. is then the second most important. And that then comes from, well, how did you generate leads? Well, that was by getting, you know, the right type of traffic. How right. did that happen? Well, that generally either comes from content or it comes from links or some kind of technical updates, right? So you would say, and this is something I've tried where maybe I'm not super good yet, is assuming on-page is tight and internal linking is done well, et cetera, which, which you know, is another part of. So what I try to do now is with the backlink team is hold them more accountable for the specific target pages and their improvement in performance, given yeah. that, like I said, that content and on-page SEO is, is done well, because I mean, obviously if the content sucks, the poor backlink team is going to have a really, really hard time, but you would, that's probably what you say. If we figured out those are the pages, you know, with the best keywords where we assume that's the best traffic with the highest conversion, these are the five pages and 
on-page team did everything they could to get it tight. Now it's your turn. Um, and then being more precise in a sense, like I, I want some curves pointing upwards because you're building links to this. Yeah. I, I mean, again, if they build 1 million links, but the pages that needs to move aren't moving, that million links yeah. doesn't help you. It's true because we also don't want this to, I mean, rather than having 20 low quality links, which makes the link count look really good, I'd rather have two good quality links, which maybe take the same time to build, but then really move the needle. Yeah, see, Mats, you're smart. Team, we have, we have a new job <laughs> after this interview is released. <laughs> Yeah, no, but, but fun, fundamentally, that's, that's the essence, right? Because the same with writers, like most people say to a writer, oh, you have to write a thousand words a day. Right. No, that's not the goal, right? Like right. That's, that's a quantity measure. But the goal here is to write a piece of content that gets customers to buy this product or write right. a piece of content that get a customer to sign up to this thing or write a piece of content that does something, right? So right, that's, right. that's the goal. So, yeah, always try and look like whenever you set goals, always try and look at the end degree of the goal. What's the end degree? And this is also important for the people to understand. In right. so many businesses, the business owner understands it, but because they aren't explaining it to the people doing it, even if they were trying to build, for example, the best links, if they don't understand what the best links are, how can they build the best possible links, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're so smart because you're right. Because, I, well, I'm an economist, so we talk a lot about how do you incentivize the market by doing certain, and your team to do certain things, right? And if I make the KPIs build as many links, you're incentivizing to build as many links. But that could pr compromise quality or context or relevance, et cetera. And that's not the goal. Is we want to build contextually relevant, high-quality links that increase our rankings. And that's the KPI and not number of links. I appreciate that. You just made me smarter in this podcast. Excellent. Mm. Hopefully it's something the audience can use as well. Yeah. Viola, it has been a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you, you having much. me and letting me share my ideas and thoughts about business. I actually like it a lot. I said in my messages, I mean, I love SEO and I love spreadsheets. Um, but inherently, I also really enjoy the art of business. I like marketing. I like sales. I like finance. And I appreciate that you gave me a platform to talk about some topics that I normally don't get to talk about. Excellent. And with what you just said, are you saying there's people who don't enjoy spreadsheets? They're weird. So this is, this is another thing. It's like I have a hard time. And we can talk about this another time. I have a hard time working with people who are very creative uh, very on the feeling side, very much on the kind of like social inspiration side and um, whether that's clients or team members, et cetera. It's like if someone, when, if I open a spreadsheet and someone starts yawning, I get so insulted. You know, I poured all my love and heart into the spreadsheet and you're not excited, you know? So we can talk another time about how I can close the gap because I think actually a lot of creative, inspirational, feeling type people would make really good clients because they have great messages and great ideas. But I need okay. to figure out how I can talk to them without showing a spreadsheet so they don't have to fall asleep like your boss. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you very much. If people are absolutely desperate to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? So if you want to chat with me personally, the best way is to find me on LinkedIn. So my name is Viola Eva E-V-A. Or you can find me on Flow SEO, flow-seo.com. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for joining me today.
It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.